You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Good to see you all here this morning. Um, before we get into Ephesians, actually, I just want to remind you that you are uh, you're at Citizens Church. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, maybe you just walked in and you're like, how did I get here? You know, you are in Citizens Church. And it was uh, almost three years ago exactly, it was around August 20th, I think it was, that we had our first live service together. And this is what it looked like. Some of you were there. Um, we were in the basement of this church and there were 36 of us that gathered. And this was just like, COVID was like five months in, you know, so you can see people wearing masks, we're all spread out. Evidently, I'm wearing the same shirt that I was wearing, that I'm wearing today. I must really like this one, okay? So it's a hit. It's stuck around for three years now. But um, we gathered together, and part of the reason why we gathered together was not just for these moments, and not just for these moments, as wonderful as they are, but our next, the next slide actually has our purpose statement, like the vision behind our church, why we exist and are. And it says this, that we exist to see people come to know and be changed by Jesus. And we do this through simple gospel-centered worship, community, and by making disciples who pursue mission in Elmira. And we know that even some of you don't even live in Elmira. You live in other places. That's why we started this church three years ago. And To hone in just on that first sentence there that says that we exist to see people come to know. Like, we believe that God has given to us, his people, this great message of the gospel, which we're going to talk about in just a minute in Ephesians. And this is a message that we need to know more as his people. And we want to take this message to other people who don't know it, who've never heard of it, Or maybe who've heard of it and rejected, and now we're coming back saying, this is good news. And that good news then actually comes into our lives. And in our our singleness, in our marriages, and in our, you know, with our roommates, with the families, whatever your context is, God can actually bring change into your life, whether it's healing that's required, whether it's like, just spiritual life that needs growth, whatever it is that God is bringing into your life, through the gospel message, he can actually bring change. And that happens solely around one thing that we want to do here at Citizens Church, and that is point people and point each other to Jesus. That is the primary thing that we are doing here. So you're, a wel- you're welcome here at Citizens Church. You're here and this is what we're about as a church. And, and if you're new, if you're visiting, or if you just started coming, or you don't know why you even came this morning, you are welcome to be here, and you're welcome to join us in this vision of reaching out with the message of Jesus Christ, because he's changed many of our lives in the context here. Let's pray together before we dig into Ephesians. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for this space, God, that we can be in here. It's been three years now of your provision for us to 
to come together and to enjoy meals in this space and to worship you in this space. Lord, we're so grateful for how you have uh, just led us. And God, we continue to ask that you would do that. Would you just straighten any bends in the road, Lord, that we need straightened? And would you guide us as your people? And Lord, may we bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us, if it's our neighbors or our work environments, wherever you take us, Lord, may we represent Jesus and may we point people to him. God, we thank you for this morning and the time that we have together. Would you bless it now? Open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you have a Bible... um, We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, and this is the beginning of all fall, actually. We're going to be going through Ephesians from now right till Christmas, okay? So you should, by the end of that time, your Bible should be worn enough that it's going to crack open to that book-written epistle. And if you don't know anything about Ephesians, it's a book written by the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was very familiar with this group of people called the Ephesians who were living in the town of Ephesus. In uh, Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 20, it actually gives some fuller context as to how this, you know, this work started for the Apostle Paul. In Acts 19 at the beginning, it says that Paul went there and then he found that there were some believers there. It actually says that there were 12 men who were believers there and there was confusion You know, Paul's like, have you been baptized? Have you got the Holy Spirit? And they're all like, what is this Holy Spirit you're talking about? There's mass confusion. All they know is they were following this Messiah, this person who was Jesus, raised from the dead. And so Paul stays there, and we'll we'll talk about this in a minute. There's like um, struggle that comes. There's difficulty. There is hardship that comes. And Paul ends up guiding and teaching, and he stays there for two years. It's one of the longest places Paul stays at to do teaching. Paul's usually, he's on the move, he's traveling, he's a missionary here, there. In Ephesus, he plunks down for two years, teaching, working, modeling for these believers what a follower of Christ is. And so, when he goes back to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey, he passes one more time through Ephesus. And he's probably on the, on the coast where the ships were. And in Acts, again, it says that the believers came there and the elders of the church of Ephesus were there and they're praying for Paul and they're, it says they're all weeping because in their minds, this is the last time they are seeing Paul. So you can just hear from that narrative that Paul and this church are tight. They have a strong relationship. They have gone through some things together. And so this book then comes to us, written in in about A.D. 60, so like 20, 20 plus years after Jesus has died and rose and gone back to be with the Father, this letter is written now to the church at Ephesus. And normally when Paul writes a letter in the New Testament, there's some sort of issue. There's some sort of problem. You know, if you think of 1 and 2 Corinthians There's massive problems, and Paul's like, I need to correct you guys in this area of your life. In Galatians, there's like a huge problem, you know, related to legalism and understanding the gospel. But in Ephesians here, there's no 
singular point that Paul is trying to address. There's no singular problem that he is trying to bring out and bring clarity to. Paul is actually writing from a prison in Rome, and he wants to now give these people a a firm foundation, a solid footing for their faith so that they can understand what is it that they have actually walked into. I don't know if you've ever bought a house before. Anybody bought a house before? Maybe some of you are like, I wish I could buy a house, you know? (laughs) You haven't bought a house before. When we were buying our house, it was like six or seven years ago. We, um, it was at the time when the market was like, the house would go up for sale, and like an hour later, it was sold. Or maybe 20 minutes later. It was just like so fast. And so people were skipping the inspections. You know, it used to be like, yeah, I think we're interested. We're going to send an inspector. Maybe next Tuesday, he'll take a look. Then we'll decide like a week or two later. Well, those days were gone. So we were like, no inspection. So we looked around, looked at the house, and we bought the house. It was great. But then, like, a few months in, we discovered, you know, there was some drywall on the basement, and you could kind of do this, and it would go right through the wall. That's not supposed to happen. I don't know if you've ever had a house before. You're not supposed to be able to do that, and it goes right through the wall of your finger, okay? And what we discovered as we cut it away was that the foundation was cracked. So from a window right down to the bottom, cracked in one of the bedrooms down there. And so we had this, I didn't even know these guys existed, but the crack specialists. Have you ever had the crack specialists? They come in and they drill holes and they insert this like cement and they fill it back in. Okay, so that the the crack is no longer there. It's sealed. Moisture is not going to come in. The basement won't be compromised anymore. Paul is writing this letter to firm up people's foundations. And there might be a number of reasons why someone is going to have a shaky foundation. Maybe they're a new believer and they're just not even sure what this whole Christianity is. Or maybe they're a new believer and there's some cracks in the foundation and Paul wants to now like fill this in and make it solid for them. So that when he goes on to teach really practical things in chapters 4 through 6, He has laid a foundation for the gospel and what it is that God has actually done. So Paul is doing here in chapters 1 through 3 what one theologian called identity formation. Identity formation. So for the first number of weeks here, it might be like a month or six weeks here, the teaching that we are getting is spiritual teaching about the reality of what happened in our lives when we put our faith and our trust in God. If you've ever wondered, what happened? Maybe I became a Christian at a camp. Maybe I became a Christian because someone, you know, shared the gospel to me. Whatever your experience was, what happened when I became a Christian? Paul says, this is what I want to explain to you in these first chapters, so that your identity, who you are, is clarified and it is solidified so that then what Paul's going to, the image that Paul's going to use is that your life is hid in Christ and collectively, as you then come together as believers, you are building up, says, this household of God. This image of a house. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, that you have been joined together into one dwelling place. That word means one house for God by the Spirit. 
That's what Paul wants us to walk away from these first few chapters knowing, that God is building a house. So, this morning we're looking at verses 3 through 14, and this is what it looks like. The next slide. This all, just so you know, okay, this is like, I'm trying to like soften you guys up a little bit. This all is one sentence in the original Greek. One sentence. So all we're doing in this sermon this morning is looking at one sentence. Okay, that's all we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at all these things. Paul doesn't mess around. Paul, when he is like going to explain something, he doesn't go soft. He doesn't try to like make it easy. Paul is like a boxer who is going for a knockout in round one. He is going for it. So in these first 14 verses, Paul is going to lay out for us, what is it? What does it mean when you say, I'm a Christian? And he's going to lay out for us some amazing truths, which start with our identity. Let me read some verses out of Acts chapter 19 to give us a little bit more context again. I gave it a little brief context, but Acts 19 kind of shows us what was fresh in their minds and what these believers were experiencing. So Acts 19, starting in verse 23, says this. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That was how they called Christians in that time. They said, this is the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. Artemis was a a god in Ephesus that everybody worshipped. She had a temple there and everybody would give offerings. So he made silver shrines of Artemis and brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, great, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of our great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. So you see what's happening here? The Apostle Paul has come, and he's bringing clarity to the gospel. And now the local people in Ephesus see that this is a problem. There's a a clash now of religious worldviews happening, and they see it. And it's actually... They can see, like, the, the business mindset of Demetrius is coming out here. Business is number one for him. And he's thinking, if people stop worshiping Artemis, they will stop buying these little silver goddesses that I'm making, and I will be unemployed. So the reality of what this gospel message is going to do for the local religious activity is hitting Demetrius hard. And the story goes on that pressure rises. Riots come up. There's like fear that people are going to be you know, killed and beaten. So for the believers here, they are living in a context now where they are being faced with real persecution. And they are probably asking this question, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Jesus? When the pressure is building all around, 
when it feels like there's actually going to be some real live consequences to following Jesus. We're not just sitting in a little cafe in Ephesus anymore talking about what Christ has done. We're not just chatting with Paul on the front porch. Demetrius isn't happy. There's real live people who are not happy. And so the believers are asking, is it worth it? And I don't know if you've ever asked that question in the last months or maybe in the last years. Living in our own Canadian context where more and more the the pressure of our secular society that we are living in that is well-rooted and how strange it can seem now for us as believers to come with the message of Jesus. Think about it. How does the Canadian society react to this message of there is only one way? Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. And there is only one message that we preach that actually dictates our our lives and the moral ethic even of the choices we make, and that is the Word of God. And we have one mission that I was just stating in our, our vision statement. We have one mission as believers, and that's to take this good news of Jesus Christ revealed to us in the Scriptures to everybody on the planet. And maybe at times, you also ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to take the risk of, you know, nowadays we call it like being canceled? Or maybe is it worth it to, to stand up for Christ when it could, it, it could even possibly like cost you maybe not your job, but maybe the influence in your job or the, the different position in your job? Like there's some real live possibilities, some difficult possibilities that could come your way just as a result of saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, Paul here in these verses wants to make clear for the believers in Ephesus and for those of us who live here in Canada and for any believer who's living in cultural context which comes with pressure, he says, it is worth it. And he's going to lay out here for us in these first 14 verses, five reasons why it's worth it, okay? And we're going we're gonna to quickly go over those because each of them, honestly, could be a, a sermon in their own. But we've got sausages outside, okay, that we got to get to. And we're just going to look at these. And my goal is that you will, throughout the week, uh, be reading Ephesians yourself. Missional families, I think a bunch of them are going to be looking at the questions that are going to be on our website over the coming weeks and months so that you can actually take the, the little bit of thinking that we cover here in this 30-40 minutes and ponder and reflect on it and think on it deeper in your own time during the week. So we begin in verse 3 where Paul says that we are a blessed people. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul says, here's the starting point. When you became a Christian, here's what God did for you. He blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Do you remember when you uh, graduated from high school? Or maybe you graduated from a certain degree from a college or a university. And afterward, everyone's like, okay, go do what you just 
you know, studied to do. You're an engineer, just go be an engineer. You're a nurse, go be a nurse. Just do this thing. I remember when, you know, I went through four years of uh, theological study and church planting principles. I taught church planting principles for almost 10 years. Then in 2020, they said, okay, go plant a church, you know. And I don't know if you felt like I did. I was kind of like, what do I do now? You know, it's like, I don't know what to do. And the believers were facing the same thing. They're like, what do we do now? In Acts chapter 1, all the disciples are there. Jesus is with them in his resurrected body. And he says, now you go do this. Go tell the world about all that you've experienced through me. And it says that he rose up before them in a cloud and he's gone. And I love this scene. They're all there staring up into the, into the sky. They're just looking. And suddenly a couple of angels say, what are you looking at? And you know what they're looking at? They're thinking, we like it better when Jesus is here. We like it better when we just follow him. But the angel says, no, you've been given this task now. Now you go do it. You just went through three years of training. You go do it now. So Paul says, here's what you need to get into your mind. Here's what you need to understand. When you become a believer, when you have Christ in you, you've been given everything you need, spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Meaning, everything you need to follow Christ in this world, in your life, wherever your life takes you, through the highest of high moments, through the most difficult and painful moments, Paul's saying, this is what Christ did for you. He gave you every blessing in the heavenlies. Everything you need to follow him in this world, you've been given. Everything that we will experience someday in in its totality in glory, all the resurrection power, all the goodness that comes from Christ, someday we will experience it in its fullness. All of it we have here now, at least in some seed form where it begins to grow, begins to germinate. And listen, part of seeing that actually experiential, you know, reality of Christ in us is through spiritual formation. And we talk about this often here and and probably need to talk about it more, but all these things have been given to us in Christ, but they grow as we follow Christ in our lives. So when we practice spiritual disciplines of scripture reading, prayer, community together, gathering with God to grow and worshiping with one voice, that's where actually the seeds begin to grow. Germination happens. And these heavenly realities, these blessings from God, they actually take root in our lives. So then when we leave the context of just like, you know, the... The safety that we can experience here together, when we leave it and go into an unknown place, a new environment in our work or whatever it is, the seed is actually taking root and the spiritual realities become real. They become present. So Paul says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Number two, Paul says you are a chosen people. Look at verse four. It says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before him. We have been chosen in him. Now, I know this is a, this is a verse that like the Bible scholars and the Bible students are like, yes, we're getting into the meat here, you know. Chosen, election, not election. What is it? You know, give us the answer, Darcy. And it's not going to happen today, okay. But here's the reality. Paul says, when you become a believer, you are chosen. That that is your title, that God has actually chosen you. He has done something in your life that is miraculous and is magnificent. And Paul is going to go on in his teaching and say, there are these two things that we struggle to hold in tension, but God gladly holds them in tension. And they're right here in our text, verses 4 and verse 13. Look at what says again. I think it's the next slide because I don't have it in my text. There we go. We needed a drum roll. So verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So that's what we just read. He chose us. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. You believed. God has not made us to be robots. God says, you are a chosen people. This is part of his electing work. But when the gospel is presented to us, you believed. You put your trust in him. So these, this free will of man and the sovereignty of God somehow miraculously comes together. And man, you got to learn to hold that intention. Because the, both the truths are visible in the scriptures. It reminds me of... Uh, this summer, I watched, again, the movie Interstellar. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Interstellar. This movie, of, you know, the, the earth is kind of crumbling and falling apart. So their plan then is to go somehow into this other far reach of space where maybe there's another planet like Earth and they can start a new humanity there. And so Matthew McConaughey is sent in the spaceship with these other people. And at, at near the end of the movie... The only way to get back kind of close to where Earth is or where the ship is is to go through a black hole. Remember that? You go through a black hole. And so they send a robot through first, and then Matthew McConaughey in like self-sacrificial, you know, probably tears. There's a lot of tears in that movie. I don't know, tears flowing down his face. He goes through the black hole, and in the movie like takes you into this space, this theoretical space inside a black hole where all kinds of work is going on. But if, if you didn't realize this, the movie is fiction, okay? It's not a documentary. It's fiction. But it's based on all these theories. It's based on all kinds of scientific theories about what happens in a black hole. It's trying to make sense, for those of us who are watching the movie, and make entertaining, you know, this mystery of a black hole. And the sovereignty of God... And the free will of man is in many ways a mystery. And Paul even says that in our passage. He says, this is a mystery. And in chapter 3, he's going to talk more about the gospel. And he's going to say, this is a mystery. What God has kind of pulled together here. How God does this. How he chooses his elect. And yet he allows us to choose him out of love. John Stott, who is a Calvinist, a well-known Calvinist, wrote this. Scripture Nowhere dispels the mystery of election. And we should beware of anyone who tries to work it out too precisely or rigidly. 
It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains of Christendom for centuries. Okay, so if John's thought says that I can't do it, okay, then we're not going to solve it here today. But here's what we can is is hold on to this tension that God has actually chosen us and has given us the ability to, in love, choose him. And it's this relationship that Paul says is the foundation for us as believers, his chosen people. Number three, we are adopted people. Verse five says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Here Paul is taking a concept that was very familiar to the Roman world. Adoption was also it was a concept that existed in the Old Testament. But here Paul is bringing in this understanding of adoption that the local Roman people would have understood. Adoption was, it's similar to how we understand it here in our day and age, but in the Roman world, it was a little bit more specific. A Roman father had the right to adopt someone into his family. Often it was an adult who he thought was capable of being brought in and taking over the family business after him. It was primarily done by the fathers, and it was primarily done with sons or men that were brought into the family. Here Paul is actually bringing in a a revolutionary idea. Because he's not saying this. He's not saying, okay guys, there's a little bit of blessing here that's just for you guys, okay? I'm just going to, on the side, you're going to be adopted in. You know what it's like in the Roman world? You guys are adopted in and you get to have the business. That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is writing to all the believers. That's the context. Men and women. And he's saying, here's what God has done through Jesus Christ. You have been adopted in. Everyone is adopted in to this sonship position. To being able to take over, in a sense, God's own business. And Paul is saying, you have been brought in. You have been adopted in. Men, women, children, adults, people who are capable of running the business or people who are not capable of running the business. Paul is saying, this gospel message is so radical, it invites all people in. And when we believe, Paul says, you are adopted in. You are like a child in the family now. You get to exist within that context. So, number four, verse 11, going down a few verses here. In verse 11, it says that we have received an inheritance. Verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Paul is saying, God has been preparing something. He has been predestining this thing. He has been working on it from ages past. And that is that you would get an inheritance. Now, some people think that inheritance is, it would be us, God's people. That's what Colossians says. It would be us, his people. Others say, no, it's just all the benefits of being in God's family. But here's the beauty is that God has been working on this. God has been inviting us into this process. He has been, had this glorious thing that he wanted to share with us, and now we enter into it. I remember my mom telling me this story once that when I was a kid, and maybe I've told it here before, uh, I was really young, and my 
my parents bought me a John Deere tractor for Christmas. It was one of those steel ones, like a really big one. And my mom said, like, my dad couldn't stop playing with the thing before Christmas, right? My dad bought this thing. He was super excited. Gently opened the box. I'm assuming. I can't remember. He just gently slid the thing out. God has had this idea from eternity past to welcome us into his family and then to lavish on us all that it means to be his kids. And he's had this plan and he's been like waiting, waiting for the moment to reveal it. And now Paul says, this is what you've received, an inheritance, everything that your father has. You are welcome as an adopted child into his life, into his world, and you get everything that he has. We have received an inheritance. And then last one, number five. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit of it to the praise of his glory. Paul says, You've been given a seal, something that is keeping, it is holding. I don't know, when's the last time you actually wrote a letter? When's the last time you actually wrote, not an email, not a text, I mean a letter, pen, paper, writing. If you've ever done that, or maybe it's a card, you know how it works, right? You write the note out, you fold it up, and then you put it in the envelope, and then you seal it shut. You put your name on there because it came from you, and you put the name of where it's going. It's not for the person at the post office to open, not for the person down the street to open. This has a specific address that it's going to. Paul is pulling this imagery of a seal, a Roman seal, that was like a message or a gift, some sort of thing, and it was sealed with an imprint, and it had a specific mark, so they would melt wax, and they would put their print on, and it would say, this is my letter going to this location. And here's what Paul is saying, You've been marked. You've been sealed. Even when you don't feel it. Even when you don't believe it. Even when you're struggling to kind of grasp it. Paul says, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's the guarantee of your salvation. So how does God bring these things about? How are all these things, like, we just quickly went, is it just five things that God has lavished on us as his people? How is this possible? Is it just free? Is it like the free ice cream at Living Waters? You know, you just walk in and get it. Or do you feel like, uh, maybe I should buy a book. You know, you're feeling this guilt because you just got free ice cream. How did this come about? Well, in verse 7, Paul to this, how this all came about. It's free for us. We get this. We enter into this. But Paul says, there's a way that you got this. Verse 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption. We've been given redemption. Now that's a word we don't use too often. But I read this week, Tim Keller told a story about redemption. And he talked about one Sunday, this was years ago, going to uh, preach at one of his congregations, and it's in New York City, so he drove there to the location, parked, preached the sermon, 
after the message, he came out of the church and his car was gone. It had been towed. So these things happen in a city, okay? Especially if you park in the wrong spot. It had been towed. So he knew where to go. So he went to this location. And when he got to this location where all the cars are that are, you know, behind chain link, he had to go in. He said the, the building was actually called the Redemption Center. That was the name of the building, the Redemption Center. And you go in to this building, to the Redemption Center building, and you pay your fine, $100, $200, $300. And then on this, on this receipt, what they would stamp is redeemed. Redeemed. Because you have essentially bought that car out of captivity. The car was locked in, and now you have redeemed it. And Paul says, this is actually what's happened to us with the gospel. We have been redeemed. Like the children of Israel in Exodus 6, where it says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. They were in bondage and slavery. They were trapped. He says, I will deliver you from slavery, and I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. Paul's saying that very thing. We too, we weren't in a, a real, live, physical slavery. None of us in here, I don't think, have, have been in any kind of slavery like that. But Paul says you were in slavery to a different form, which was a slavery to sin. We were in captivity. We were behind the chain link fence, like the car. And Paul says you have been redeemed now. You have been bought back. And it wasn't free for God. It actually cost God his son. It cost him Jesus Christ who willingly went to the cross and redeemed us and bought us back. So let me ask you this morning. Is your foundation in Christ stable? Is your foundation in Christ anything like without cracks? Well, I can tell you if it's anything like mine, it's probably got some cracks. It's maybe got some big cracks in it. And the Apostle Paul here wants us to understand that all that we have in Christ is our spiritual reality. So that when he goes on in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, he's going to talk about marriage. He's going to talk about parenting. He's going to talk about slavery. He's going to talk about legalism. Anybody who knows anything about any of these topics, knows that these are topics that every single one of us are touchy about. So Paul says, when I start probing in with the realities of the gospel, is your foundation going to be so solid because you know who you are in Christ? You know all that you have in Christ. When someone tries to poke a finger through the wall, it ain't getting through because it's solid. Not because of your greatness, not because of all that you can do. It's actually all because of grace. All because of grace and the mercy that God has actually shown to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this full, full passage, God, that teaches us about all that we have in you. And Lord, I pray over the coming weeks that you would solidify for each of us the reality of the gospel and what you've done for us. And Lord, if there's some in here who have not put their trust in you, Lord, they don't know from experiential reality that Jesus can save and Jesus can give them strength in this life. I pray, Lord, that whether it's today in this very moment here or in the coming weeks, that, 
that they would put their trust in you, that they would put their faith in the work of Jesus on the cross who has redeemed us for his glory. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.